welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Made New. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Happy Hallmark Conspiracy Holiday Day. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, there's only like, like two people who are excited about this day. What is wrong, right? No, happy Valentine's Day. Um, this is a cool day. I like it. You know, it doesn't land on Sunday too much, but, um, but it did this week. And so I've got my red shirt on. So... Uh, that's all I'm going to do. So uh, can I give you just a little bit of an update? I think it's time just for me to just tell you a couple of things. Um, you know, we're, we've been in this pandemic, it seems, for longer than a year. But um, it's really been about a year or so. And, and, you know, it's affected us a lot as a church and our whole culture. Everything is turned upside down, right? So I'm not uh, telling you anything you don't know. But so the church has had to respond to this. And, and we have had to work really hard to adjust and change and retool and rethink. And um, uh, we're not going back. We're not going back. You can just don't ever say, when things get back to normal, I mean, I... Those days are gone. So we got to continue to move forward and, and adjust and, and grow and respond and not react. And I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, but uh, I, I, so I want to kind of give you a little bit of update. You know, I, I've usually, my way of going about things um, over this last year is to kind of honestly wait to the last minute to decide because <laughs> just everything gets everything changes on a dime I mean the goalpost just keeps getting moved so we kind of been pretty cautious we've done some things and we've taken if we've taken a risk we've we've identified what that risk is going to be it's going to be with teenagers and it's going to be with uh, children young people where we're, we've taken some risks there and I think it's it's been appropriate we've um tried to be wise, and I think it's been really good and healthy. Um, so I get to talk to a lot of pastors a- around Tucson, across the country, and everybody I talk to that's in a role like mine, when you, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this issue, and what are you doing, what's happened, um, this comes up a lot. Most people, uh, most churches that have reopened um, by now, and there's lots of churches that are still not open. Um, most churches would say, the average church would say, our attendance is about at 40% of what it was. That's across the nation. 40%, lots of places less than that. Some a little bit more than that. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy what's happened. But of everybody that I see and get to talk to, um, that's, that's about the way it is. So when they ask me, I get to say, that Vail Christian Church is about 95% of where, where we were before um, this whole thing, the shutdown and this whole thing happened. And I said, it's really hard to analyze because I don't know, some people are just waiting and cautious and things like that. But uh, so they say, well, what are you doing? And, you know, like, like it's got something to do with me, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> no, okay. 
But uh, what I've said is, you know, our area is growing. Our area is flourishing uh, in spite of all this, the, the place that we live, the, where we're located. And I just think that the people of Vail Christian Church, what we've tried to do is say, we trust you. We think you're wise. We're not going to be the mask police, so to speak. Um, we expect you to be wise. And we, you know, we set up the hand wash stations and all that kind of stuff and, you know, do all the appropriate things. And I think that... Um, our people have responded really well, and we've, in some ways, grown as a church through this whole thing. It's kind of nuts. So what I want to tell you is that our intention here is probably about May and June, we're going to try to start doing more and more things, okay? You know, we've set so many things aside, in particular, anything that's got to do with food. You know, if, it, if you can't drink it, coffee kind of thing, then we're not really doing it. So we're going to open a lot of those things back up. We, we, um, we're going to try to do those things. Uh, we're hoping to have a really great summer with camps and all the good stuff. We just sent a whole bunch of middle schoolers to camp or to conference or whatever it was. Yeah, what was it called? Um, Vail Youth, vale Youth Conference. Super creative name. Um, so uh, 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 we took a boatload of those kids up there. It was awesome. They got back last night. It was great. It was awesome stuff that we should do. So uh, we're going to continue to do that. Be patient. But I, uh, our expectation is that you don't bypass the hand wash station. I don't care how cold the water is. Just do it. Okay. And, um, and, the, and the, you check in. You try your best to do that. It helps us uh, do all the right things. Oh, I don't need to. Just do it. Come on. All right, some of you should wash your hands and your face, okay? So, I'm just talking about the middle schoolers, but okay, it's going to be good. So, it's Valentine's Day, and where we are in um, Matthew is chapter 19. Oh, boy. Matthew chapter 19 is full of all kinds of craziness, all right? So, um, in particular, the passage that we are in, in terms of, uh, walking through it, um, the Pharisees asked Jesus some questions about divorce. So I'm not going to talk about divorce on Valentine's Day. I was going to, I'm not afraid to do that, but I just don't think I should today. I mean, this is, you know, a little bit different. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to get near it. I'm going to get as close to it as you can, <laughs> okay, and not do it, all right? And we're going to talk about it, and we're going to come back to it, and uh, i got to figure out how we're going to kind of weave this all in, in in our journey to Resurrection Sunday. But uh, so I'm not going to avoid it, you know, because here's the deal. Like, look, look what happens. You know, the Pharisees come to him, and, and in order to test them, they say, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? And then he answers, and oh, my gosh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that unfloats, so, uh, unloads. And so, you know, he's going to take a little bit of work. And it's a volatile subject. I mean, man, if you're not careful, you know, people get really uptight and upset and offended and all these kinds of things regarding this issue. And so I get it. So we're going to wait till after Valentine's Day because I don't want to spoil your sweet little thing that you're doing today, okay? Um, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you experienced this. When, you know, when I was a kid, I could be doing something with my dad. We'd be engaging in some activity, and there was something kind of difficult or foreign or unusual happens, and he might know how to do it or knew the answer to it, and I would say, 
how did you know that? And he had this really great answer that I hated, all right? And I've come to really love it. But he would say, I just know things. And then what are you going to do about that, you know? It's, it's, it's a non-answer. He knows what the answer is, but he loved the little mystery of that. Like, I just know things. And so then you're like, oh, wow, you're just really smart and, you know, and whatever. And it's not necessarily true, but um, I find myself saying this too. And I figured out why, you know, figured out over time why you can say it, you know. So I say it actually all the time. My kids hate it. I just know things. Once in a while, Linda will say, how did you know how to, you know, I just know things. So, um, you know, in my lifetime, um, I've, I've done a lot of marriages. I've done a lot of weddings, a lot of premarital counseling. I have a file on everybody. I've done hundreds, you guys. And um, I, I, I have some thinking and the way I go about it and some things I will not do and there's some things I do. So I will marry people in our church and things like that. You know, I, I will marry a, a believer with another believer. I will do that. But I will not marry somebody who's not a believer and then, who, and then the other one is a believer. Now, it's hard to determine that sometimes, but I won't do it. I just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll marry two people who are not believers in Jesus. I'll do it because I want to do your premarital counseling, you know, and then basically I just disciple you to Jesus is my plan. And I've seen some people come to Christ, you know. But there's, there's also been this whole slew of people that they come and they want to get married and they ask me and I do a little um, triage or evaluation and I help them make a plan. And there's been way more than you might think. I mean, lots. Who I look them in the eye and I say, no, I'm, I'm, I, I can't do your marriage ceremony. Not because um, I actually can't. I, I won't do it because I don't think you should get married. Oh, I've told so many people that. Shocking. I'm shocked. I keep really great records. And nobody looks at you and goes, oh, well, I guess we should reevaluate whether we should get married. I, I don't, I've never been successful at um, discouraging two people from getting married. I've, I've, I've never, nobody, by the time they get to me and they say, hey, Pastor Ben, would you do our wedding? And, and I say, no. They just go find somebody else because you're like, you've made a plan and you're ready because it's radical to, to not do it after that, right? So I've, I've slowed a few people down but never discouraged it from, uh, you know, not happening. But here's the thing. I keep good records. I don't forget very many things either. You, you, you don't forget looking somebody in the eye and say, you shouldn't get married. You don't forget that. So I can say with confidence, you know what? 98, 99% of all those people I told you shouldn't get married, you know what's where they're at right now? They are not married or they're in incredible trauma. They're divorced and things like that. And how come that is? I just know things. What do you mean? Well, you know, see, here's the secret my dad would never say, you know, through all these experiences and, and getting to know people and listening to them, asking them some questions, focusing on what's really important, you just figure it out, right? You totally, 
figure out simple red flags that are almost irreversible a lot of times. So, so nobody wants to hear that. People get mad at you and whatever. But I've got some convictions just like anybody else. And, and so, you know, I'm not saying that I, I, I run around making lots of people happy about that. But um, I feel like it's a risk I, I should take. Did you know that when you drive down Rita Road that there's a Target distribution center? And right next to the Target distribution center... There is another canning distribution center called Fairball. I don't know if you knew that. Kind of a cool little place. But uh, did you know that it's spelled F-A-I-R-B-A-U-L-T? But if you go in there and talk to them, they, they say Fairball. And uh, the reason why, because it's French. It's French, and you don't pronounce the T. The reason why is because uh, the company was started in a little town outside of the Twin Cities in Minnesota called Fairball. And the reason why is because a whole bunch of people from France were immigrated to here, and then they sort of piled up in that one little place and then started a canning company. And, and, and the reason why it's in Tucson is because they got together and went, oh, this is cool. Let's move to Tucson <laughs> and open up a plant down here, Fairbowl. The reason why I know that is because I know the HR executive at Fairbowl. And the reason why I know that HR executive is because She's my Valentine of 32 years. Okay, see, so there, there's this trail of the reason why you know stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing when, when things are revealed to you and you process them and stuff. You just know things sometimes. Okay, now, what's this got to do with anything? Well, it's a little bit of a stretch. But I have done so much interaction with this part of the text. I don't, you can't just start at Matthew 19. And talk about any of these things. So I want to, I want to move to Genesis chapter one, the first page in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, and I want to start there. And I want to help you see and understand some amazing truth. I I, I think it's amazing, and I think what you're going to get to see is God's heart. You cannot even address the subject. You can't talk about love. You can't talk about marriage. You can't talk about relationships. You can't talk about being single. All these things. I don't think that you can answer any difficult questions in life, in particular because of a, uh, uh, being a Christ follower, unless you understand and you know deeply God's heart. You have to know and understand God's heart. And I don't think it's super complicated, but we bypass it all the time. We want to see something else. So, math, uh, so, so Genesis chapter 1 all right, and we're going to go to verse 26, 27, and 28. We're just going to look at three verses. And then, just like Amy said this morning, draw the truth out of the text and then kind of deal with it a little bit. All right? So, starting verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind. Notice the us there. That's the Trinity. Jesus God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make humankind in our image. 
after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over the earth, and over all creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Now, just taking those few verses for a minute, there's three truths that I believe reveal God's heart. What God is all about, his purposes, his intentions for you and I, but mostly it just reveals who he is, okay? When you understand who God is, then you can navigate who you're supposed to be, okay? And I do not think, again, you can answer any difficult questions that you're after unless you understand God's heart, but we just don't work enough to understand God's heart. See, Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They ask him a difficult question. If you analyze it, and we're going to do that, what he does, he somewhat bypasses it, and he goes all the way back to right there, to Genesis chapter 1, and he basically says, let's look at what God's heart is. Because just because God allows you to do something, you could even say, I think it's a little bit of a stress, but gives you permission to do something, does not mean that he wants you to do it. Did you, did you hear that? Just because he gives you um, what you want does not mean that that's what he wants. I mean, all throughout scripture, you can see that. And that's pretty much what Jesus does with the Pharisees. He travels around their, their question. And he says, what you don't understand is actually who God is and what his heart is. You're just trying to trap me in the verses. And that's what I feel like I have a lot of experience with, people coming to me needing help, which they should, and I want to help. But lots of times, you know, m mostly people are, um, how do you say it, uh, wanting affirmation for what they think. <laughs> and, and, and I don't, I don't really play that game very good. <laughs> I just want to tell you the straight of it because I think it's the most helpful and I'm willing to take a risk. So here, I want you to think this morning with these three things that are taught in the text and one that God created human beings, that's one. The second is that God created us in his image. That's, the, that, that, that's you, right? The third is that God created us male and female. It is possible to believe these three truths and not be a Christ follower. And, you know, a good Orthodox Jew at the time, just you would, you, and, and, or now, you would have the Old Testament, you would have Moses' writings, and so you can believe these things but not be a Christ follower is, when I, is, is really what I want to say. You know, if you just look at the Old Testament and you refuse to go to the New Testament, um, then you, you miss the Jesus part, all right? So, but here's the thing, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures in particular beg or scream for the, the completion that comes with the work of Christ. That's what I want to talk about today, especially in regard to the third truth that we are created in God's image as male and female. Now, <clears throat> number one, here's my first point, God created human beings. Let's just take a look. Look at the first truth. 
Human beings have been created by God. I think this, again, begs, screams, asks for an explanation. Why did he create us, right? Why did, why did he do this? When you make something, you have a, a reason for making it, or really, you don't make it. So God has his reasons, all right? <clears throat> but does the world as we know it give an adequate answer to the question? I would say no. No. The Old Testament speaks of a man bringing the world under his dominion. It speaks of being created to show God's glory. Isaiah uh, 43.7, it speaks of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But what do we see in the world that we live in? We see a world in rebellion against the creator. That's what we see. We see the Jewish scriptures coming to an end with a story unfinished and hope still to come. So just believing that God created human beings the way the Jewish scriptures teach that he did begs for the rest of the story to be told. The New Testament, Jesus, namely life in Christ. Only in Christ can the purposes of creation be achieved. Only in Christ. Now, I'm going to explain more of that, but let's just go on to the second point. God created us in his image. Let's look at that. Because God created, uh, uh, surely this must have something to do with why we are here. Why are we here? Right? His purpose in making us must have something wonderful, something awesome to do with the fact that we're not frogs, that we're not lizards, that we're not birds, and we're not monkeys. Okay? We are human beings in the image of God. We alone and no other animal are created in God's image. But what a mess we've made of this awesome dignity of being human, right? We've totally messed it up. Are we like God? Well, yes and no. Yes, we are like God, even sinful and unbelieving. Uh, There is a likeness to us, right? There's a likeness. We know this because in Genesis 9, 6, God said to Noah, look what he said to Noah, right? Whoever sheds human blood by other humans must his blood be shed for in God's image God has made humankind in other words even in a world where sin the sin of murder is plentiful you can just find it everywhere human beings are still in the image of God you can't get around it they may not be killed like rats and mosquitoes um, those are not created in the image of God you can step on a mosquito or squash them all you want. And I got no issues killing rats, amongst other things. You know, some people don't want to kill snakes. But if you're trying to get in my house, you're going to die if you're a snake. It's just not worth it. So, but are we the image of God that he made us to be? See, the image is distorted sometimes, almost beyond recognition, Do you feel that you are like God in the way that you should be? That's a great question to ask. So here again, the belief that we we were created in God's image is asking for completion. You can't get around it. In In this case, a redemption, a transformation, a kind of recreation. And that's exactly what life in Christ actually brings. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there and make some notes if you want. Uh, verses 8 through 10, and then we'll just want us grab one verse out of chapter 4, but it says, 
For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. Look at that. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And to put on the new man who has been created in God's image, in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. See, God created us in his image. But we have warped it almost beyond recognition. And Jesus is the answer to that. He comes by faith. He forgives, he cleanses, and he begins the reclamation process called sanctification, which is a big old churchy word. But sanctification is being transformed and made new and, and set aside for a purpose. That's really what sanctification means. When you come to Jesus, you are sanctified, set apart, recreated, made new, restored, so to speak. So since we know that we're created in the image of God, our sin and our corruption begs, it screams for an answer, and Jesus is the answer. Now let's, let's move on to God created us male and female. That, that's the third truth, right? And this too points to life in Christ and asks for completion in Christ, actually. How? In at least two ways. One comes from the mystery of marriage. The other comes from the historical ugliness of male and female relationships and sin. But I like the first one, the mystery of marriage. That is a great way to describe it, isn't it? It's such a mystery. <laughs> it is. I love that language. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, right after the account of how woman was created, Moses, who is the author of, or excuse me, the writer, the writer of Genesis says, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. Maybe you've heard that in some wedding ceremony, right? Now when the apostle Paul, he quotes this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, that's usually where you quote it from or teach from if you're going to do a wedding ceremony. He says, this is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. And I say it refers to Christ and the church. And with that as his cue, he unfolds the meaning of marriage. It's a symbol of Christ's love for the church, represented in a husband's loving headship towards his wife, and is a symbol of the church's glad submission to Christ represented in the, the wife's relations uh, to her husband. So he calls Genesis 2.24 a mystery because God did not reveal clearly all his purposes for the marriage of male and female in Genesis. There, there, there were hints and pointers in the Old Testament that marriage was like uh, the relation of God and his people, right? God and his chosen people, the children of Israel. This unbelievable relationship. He chose these people to represent him and do all these things, right? But only when Christ came did the mystery of marriage get spelled out in detail. It is meant to be a portrait of Christ's covenant with his people, his commitment to the church. So, I describe it sometimes, you can quote me all you want about it, that marriage's purpose is to showcase the essence of who God is and what he's all about. 
that's the purpose of marriage. So I, I said I do, I do lots of weddings all the time, marriage counseling and things. And so in order to evaluate things a little bit with people, sometimes what I say, and I don't try to belittle anybody or anything like that. I just, I just need to kind of figure out what you understand. So I just ask people straight up most of the time, say, there's no wrong answer. Just, just, just tell me. I'm, just, I'm trying to help you here. What is the purpose of marriage? And do you know, man, very few people can answer that. Shocking. What's the purpose of marriage? Because when you understand God's heart, you understand the purpose of marriage. So let's keep going. Do you see then how God's creating man, male, and female, and then ordained marriage as the relationship in which a male leaves mother and father and cleaves to his wife in covenant commitment, how this act of creation and this ordinance of marriage wants, all right, revelation of uh, the, the revelation of Christ in his church. It wants that. It, it, it begs, it screams for life in Christ as a re- revelation of the mystery. It, it helps you understand the great mystery. This is a very foreign thought to most people. Even most Christ followers, in my experience, because marriage is a worldly institution, actually. We tend to think that marriage is our idea, and it's not. It's God's idea. You can find marriage in all cultures and all kinds of things, right? Not just in the culture of the church. So we're not prone to think of all non-believing marriages that that we know of as mysterious symbols of Christ's relationship to the church, but they actually are. And our very existence as male and female in marriage cries out for Christ to make himself known in his relation to the church. Life in Christ completes our comprehension of the marriage covenant, our understanding of this contractual covenant between us and God. Let me paint a picture. Here's, uh, here's, here's this next thing, right? And I, I want to give it a little bit of a twist that you may ha- have not thought about before, okay? Christ is coming uh, again to this earth. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and a lot of times we read that scripture that says, every time you do this in remembrance of me, um, do this in remembrance of me, right? And um, we celebrate his death until he comes. He's talking about his second coming. So he's going to return. So even uh, uh, the, the scriptures say, the angels say, when Christ descended after the resurrection, it says, even as you saw him go, he will come again. So imagine that day with me, Jesus coming again, returning. Imagine that day. The heavens are open, the trumpet sounds, the son of man appears on the clouds with power and awesome glory, with Tens of thousands of holy angels, a holy angel army shining like the sun. He sends them out to gather the, his elect. That's the church. Those are Christ followers. He sends them out to gather them from the four winds, right? Um, and raises from the dead those who died in Christ. He gives them uh, new and glorious bodies like his own. That'll be great. In particular for certain people like me, Right? He transforms all, all, all of this, right? Um, he transforms the rest of us in a twinkling of an eye to be fit for this whole thing, for glory. 
right? Those that haven't died. The age-long preparation of the bride of Christ, the church, is finally complete, and he takes her arm, as it were, and, and, and leads her to the table. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. He stands at the head of the table. Oh, man. And a great silence falls, falls over millions of Christ followers. And he says, this, my beloved, my valentine, so to speak, was the meaning of marriage. This is it right here. This is what it all pointed towards. This is why I created you male and female and ordained the covenant of marriage. So now there will be no more marriage and no more giving in marriage because the final reality is come, that's me, Jesus. And the shadow called marriage, it can pass away, it can disappear, it's not needed anymore. That's pretty profound. I sat down in a series of lessons with my youth pastor when I was in high school and he taught through this and it it made a huge imprint on me. It's part of the reason why I became a pastor is because of those things right there. I'm like, wow, people need to understand this really, really bad. Can we talk about life in Christ? And remember what we're doing. We're trying to see that the third truth, God created us in his image as male and female, points to life in Christ as its completion, okay? And I said, it does this in two ways. The first is by the mystery of marriage, The creation of human beings as male and female provides the necessary framework in creation for the ordinance of marriage. You you could not have marriage without male and female, even though our culture tries to do it. And the meaning of marriage is not known in its essence or fullness until we see it as a parable of Christ's relationship to the church, just like I sort of painted that picture for you. So creation is male and female points to marriage and marriage points to Christ. It points to Jesus and the church. And so the belief that God created us in his image as male and female is not complete without life in Christ, without Christ and his saving work for the church. It's not complete. It's all incomplete. You can't get around this either. Let's, let's address the ugliness of male and female relationships because it's everywhere, right? I mean, you've all experienced it. I said there's another way that creation of male and female in God's image points to life in Christ as the necessary completion. And here it is. It's, named, it's from its distortion in the documented ugliness of male and female relations. Let me try to explain. It works like this. When sin entered the world... The effect on relationships, you know, male and female, was devastating when sin entered the world. God comes to Adam after he had eaten the forbidden fruit, right? And he asks, what has happened? What in the world happened here? Can you imagine God asking you a question like that? So Adam says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, look what he says. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me some fruit, and from the tree... Uh, from the tree, and I ate it. Let me interpret. 
In other words, it's her fault. Or uh, uh, yours for giving her to me. So if somebody's got to die for eating the fruit, it should be her. I mean, that, that is literally what he said. Because he knows. I mean, he's smart. He knows exactly what's going to happen and what God said. And God always does what he says he's going to do. Genesis 3, 16, all right? Well, so what does God do? He pronounces a curse on fallen men and woman like this. To the woman, God says, I'll greatly increase your labor pains. With pain, you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. In other words, the result of sin and the curse of our age is conflict between the sexes. You can go on and read the curse with men uh, later. I'm not picking on women, but we just need to keep going. This verse is not a description of the way things should be. This is a description of the cursed way things are going to be while sin still reigns. Dominating men and devious women. This is not the meaning of male and female in God's image. It is the ugliness of sin. Now, how does this ugliness point to life in Christ? What are you ta- how, does that, how does that point to Jesus? It points to life in Christ because it wants, life in Christ wants the healing or, or this issue, this ugliness, wants the healing that life in Christ brings to the relationship between men and women. If God created us in his image, male and female, that implies equality of personhood. Equality of dignity, mutual respect, harmony, complementarity, a unified destiny. But where is all this in the history of the world? In the record? It's in the healing that Jesus brings. So let's make two observations about the healing that Jesus brings. Number one, the destiny of being created male and female. There is a destiny. First Peter 3, 7. Peter says that a Christ follower, husband and wife are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Fellow heirs of the grace of life. What does that mean? What is he trying to say there? It means that in Christ, men and women recover what was meant by being created male and female. In God's image. It means that together as male and female, they are to showcase the glory of God. And together as fellow heirs, they are to inherit the glory of God. Creation in male and female is, uh, um, in God's image, when you see it alongside sin, screams for the completion of the healing that comes with the transforming work of Jesus and the inheritance he purchased for sinful people like you and me. Christ recovers from sin the reality that male and female are fellow heirs in the grace of life. Now, I want to address this because I think this is important. It's, I'm going to call it the meaning of singleness as male and female. Because some of you are single and we got a lot of teenagers and young people in our church. You know the time to teach people about this? when they're teenagers. You know, if you if you wait till the premarital class, I mean, man, 
Pastor Ben has to really work hard, and nobody wants to meet with me long enough and stick it out to actually learn something because you're in a daze. You're ready to get married. I'd rather almost meet with you after you get married or long before you ever do that, right? So the other thing to mention about the way Christ turned things around and overcomes the ugliness of our warfare and fulfills the destiny of being created male and female in the image of God is found in 1 Corinthians 7. Turn there. Paul says something almost unbelievably radical for that day. I mean, it's pretty crazy for that day. In some ways, it's a little crazy here in our day. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, and then we'll slip down into the verse 32 area. All right, let me put it together for you. It says, to the unmarried and widows, I say that it is best for them to remain as I am. Man, okay. Here, this guy's pretty wise. I feel like if he, said, if, if he was like, you know, answered like my dad, you know what he would say? Because you go, why? He would say, I know things. I really feel like he would. Okay, now, he says, and I want you to be free from concern. Un, uh, an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the things of the world and how to please his wife, and he is divided. Total true. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord to be holy both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how to please her husband. Truth. I'm saying this for your benefit. Here you go. This is the part you underline. Not to place a limitation on you. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that I, you know, I don't want you to be married necessarily. But so... That without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. So do you see what this implies? It implies that the healing that Jesus brings to male and female created in God's image is not dependent on marriage. In fact, Paul's experience as a single man, he's really a model for being a single man in a Christ follower. And the model of Jesus as a single man, by the way, sometimes you forget that. It taught him that there was a kind of single-minded devotion to the Lord possible to the single man or woman that's not usually the way it is with married Christ followers. And I, I feel like I could testify to it too because right out of college, I took a little job and then and moved right in. I became a youth pastor at this um, nice little church in Scottsdale and I was a really great youth pastor. I don't mind saying it. I was. I was single. I could burn the candle on both ends. I mean, it was crazy the things that I could do. I had the freedom to just, man, I was not distracted by anything. I had a big four-bedroom house with a pool. Who do you think was at my house all the time? Teenagers, college students, young people. Whew, man, I had two cars. I pretty much did anything and everything I wanted. I could, I could just, man, I was really focused on ministry, undistracted. I thought I would not get married for a long time. I was actually to the point where I was fine with it. And then Linda showed up, <laughs> completely distracted me. I'm so glad to be married. We've been married 32 years and it's been awesome. 
I was a great youth pastor as a single man. I really was. I had the ability to just lean into it and speak into people's lives. I started this Bible study in my house for um, some college students. And um, we weren't that close to any college necessarily. But uh, it, it started. And then, you know, after a few weeks, I had like 60 college students come to this Bible study in my house. So the dean of students called me from what was then Southwest, Southwestern Bible College. And now it's called Arizona Christian College. He called me. He goes, hey, I don't know what's going on over there. But, man, there's only a few hundred kids in this school. And, like, one-third of them come to your church and your Bible study. So I was just wondering, what, what are you teaching about? What are you doing? How is this happening? You know what I said? I just know things. Oh, so good. He goes, what? What do you mean? I said, I didn't expect this to happen, but I started this little Bible study on marriage. And then it got around a little bit, and they just all started showing up going, hey, I'd like to figure that out. Why? Young people want to be married. And there was just girls coming, and before you knew it, it was just out of control. I had to go talk to all my neighbors about the parking. And, oh, man, it was crazy, Right? See, marriage, listen, listen to this. Look, look, look at what this implies. Another way to say it might be marriage is a temporary idea of God's for this age until the resurrection of the dead, till he returns. The essence of its meaning and purpose is to represent Christ's relationship to the church. But when Jesus comes again, the representation as we know it, it's not going to be needed anymore. And there'll be neither marriage or giving in marriage in the age to come. And those who've been single and devoted to the Lord will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb as full fellow heirs of the grace of life. And according to their devotion to the Lord and their sacrifices, they will be rewarded with affections and relationships and joys beyond your wildest imagination. Don't be scared of being single. Don't be scared of being single. People get aggravated at me. I'll just be straight up. People get aggravated at me because if, 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 you, if you get divorced, I generally say, just don't get married again. Why are you afraid? Don't be, don't, there's worse things than being lonely. Don't be afraid of being single. Don't get in a rush. Don't do, no, not for, nobody wants to hear that really. I can't help it because you see, you see the implications here. All right, I want to get to it. What has it got to do with me? Now, if you're on one of those teams and you're going to get up, don't, just, just sit tight, okay? Stay right here just for a second. Number one, you see, this is what's so profound. My youth pastor changed my life with a few little lessons on this because the implications are enormous regarding relationships. I mean, they're profound. The purpose of marriage, everything in God's purpose, his intention in his heart, it's all right here. And you can't ask, you cannot answer any difficult questions reasonably. You're just lying to yourself until you understand God's heart. This is it right here. 
You want to know what God's will is. You want to know what his heart is. You want the answers. You want them. You can't just wing some Bible verses out of context, which is what the Pharisees were trying to do in chapter 19 of Matthew, trying to trap him. You can't do it. Eventually, Jesus takes them all the way back to those three verses, and he says, you need to understand God's heart because you, you can't answer this question or any other difficult question unless you understand God's heart. That's what this has to do with. But we don't want to do the work. We don't want to know. We just lie to ourselves. Surely God is more concerned about my pain. He's more concerned about my loneliness. He's more concerned about all these things. I mean, God couldn't be like that. You don't understand God's heart. Marriage has a purpose, and it's really got hardly anything to do with about your pain, your comfort, your love life, uh, sex, and all those things. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Those are byproducts of this purpose in God's heart. Yeah, all the children, family, all this cool stuff. It's all built in there, but it's a byproduct of understanding and owning and leaning into what is God's heart about this whole thing. Here it comes. Number one, God created human beings. And as the Old Testament closes, the awesome fact demands the rest of the story. Don't leave it out. Life in Christ, that's the rest of the story. It makes sense out of what God was up to. His purposes in creation are incomplete without the work of Jesus. Wow, yeah. Number two, God created us in his image. But we've marred it, we've warped it, the image. We've warped it so badly, it's hardly recognizable, right? So the truth wants the completion of life in Christ because what Jesus does is he reclaims what has been lost. That's what he's all about, reclamation, reclaiming, recycling, so to speak, making everything new again. It's called being made new in Christ. The image is restored in righteousness and holiness. That's what Jesus does. And last, God created us in his image as male and female. And, and, and this too just screams for the completion in the truth of life in Christ. No one can fully grasp what it means to be male and female in marriage in particular until they see that marriage is meant to showcase Jesus and his relationship with the church to showcase the essence of who God is. That's its purpose at its core. Everything else that results of leaning into that purpose, understanding it, owning it, being obedient to it, is a byproduct. That's how brilliant God is. He gives us the things that we want and we need and desire. No one can know the truth uh, the true destiny of being created male and female in God's image until they know that male and female are fellow heirs of the grace of life. And finally, no one can fully understand the meaning of singleness as male and female in God's image until they learn from Jesus that in the age to come, there'll be no marriage. And so the amazing destiny of being male and female in God's image is not dependent on marriage. Man, we put big stock in it, though. And, it, and we should. It's dependent on devotion to the Lord. So here comes the last one. Here's the big one. This one you better write down. Here it is. So God created you. He created you in his image. He created you male or female that you might utterly, I'm just trying to use the most profound words I can, radically, uniquely be devoted to the Lord. That's why he created you.
That's the answer. Why did he do it? You remember? We tried to, you know, why did he do this? To be devoted to him. That's, that's the answer that we all want. You know, we, we biff it, mess it up so much because we don't understand God's heart. Well, I did get a little preaching on Valentine's Day. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. I love my youth pastor in high school. His name was Doug West. Remember I said, I just know things. Doug West did this Bible study with me. And it changed my life. And it was all about this. And later he called me after I had graduated college, just before my, uh, my first summer started out of school. And he goes, hey, I'm working at this camp in Oregon and I need a program director. Would you get up here and do it? And I'm all right. So I came up, I worked at this camp called Tadmore all summer, and it was awesome. Because you know what happens? All these youth groups come up, and they have all these pretty female counselors. And, and, uh, and, and kids, it's just full of just activity and all this stuff. And so, man, I was like, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. And then at the end of the summer, everybody went home, and he goes, hey, you know, you want to stay on? I'm like, yeah, I love camp. But it was like 40 miles from anything, and I'm there as a single guy, and, you know, there's the maintenance people and his family, and then uh, and, and Doug and his wife and kids, and then me. And I, I, I couldn't take it. I, just, I got, I got lo- you know, like, I can't do this. This is crazy, and it's snowing. Nobody comes to camp in the winter uh, in Oregon anyway, not too much. Just rental people, and, you know, just so, oh, it was painful. So I took a job in Scottsdale at this little church as a single man, you know, and I, I'm, I, oh man, I lean into it. And I, I took these kids to camp at Prescott Pines where I grew up, where I met Doug West. And that's where I met Linda. It's, a, it's amazing. People are like, oh, tell me the story. It's, so, it's all connected. The guy that changed my Ah, the only reason I went to that camp was because Doug West was the program director there and he created such an awesome experience. You should go to camp. All the best things in life happen at camp. Lord, thanks for uh, the moments that we have today. I'm praying that this would be a really great celebration of you and all the things that you've created. Lord, we love you. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.